Hi, my good friends. Welcome to my podcast, Proclaiming Freedom. My name is Sadie Anderson. I'm so glad you're here. It's another great day to give glory to God, so that's what we're going to do. If you want to find more episodes or other resources on the topics I discuss, head over to my website, proclaiming-freedom.com. Okay, let's jump into it. Okay, I'm back. Second part of the spiritual warfare. First, I'm going to clarify a couple points, then go into some weapons and strategies in engaging in spiritual warfare, and close out with going over the authority that Jesus Christ has and that we have through him. So to start off, I want to make a note on possession versus affliction and I had to ask my mentor my friend about this because I wasn't sure what the difference is because in the Bible we read demon possessed in the various accounts of people being delivered but there's never really been a clear description of that for me in is that possible and what's the difference and what does this all mean? So, in Luke 8, 26-39, that's the passage I'll be looking at initially, uh, verses 27 and 28, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. Later in verse 28, it says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. So the translation, demon-possessed, is not accurate when you look at the Greek word that that is being translated to demon-possessed. The original Greek word is, I'll put a link in the description, um, but it, it means evil spirit or a demon. So there's no connotation there's no word denoting possession or ownership some other scriptural evidence for things in the world not being possessed or owned by the demonic spirits demonic forces is psalms 24 1 the earth is the lord's and everything in it the world and all its people belong to him So we see that God has ownership over everything and everyone. And within the context of that scripture, there's not any limitations that are given to that. It's as clear as it's stated. So a more accurate translation for these accounts of people being afflicted by demonic spirits would be demonized. And that would just mean that this person is experiencing affliction from demonic spirits, but they're not owned by them. Another interesting point in the story is in verse 30, Jesus addresses the demonic spirits and asks, what is its name? It replies, legion. This is a Roman military term referring to a group of soldiers numbering 6,000. So... 
This man was being afflicted by 6,000 demons, and even then, the 6,000 demons could not stop him from running to and falling before Jesus. It seems to me that if he was owned by demons and they were in full control of him, then he would not be able to run to Jesus. I don't believe that demons would want to be exposed to the power that binds them and throws them back where they belong in the pit of hell. So that just, in that instance, gives evidence that this man was capable of coming to the presence of the power that's in direct opposition to the afflictions that he's experiencing. Now, people can open themselves up to demonic spirits and they can come into agreement with them, which results in extreme affliction, extreme influence, and suffering. But if I'm understanding these scriptures correctly, God still has ownership of that person and Jesus has all authority over the demonic spirits. We as believers can experience affliction and this can be let in from generational demonic affliction, a false belief or a lie, uh, emotional wounds, or witchcraft. And any affliction from the enemy is for the purpose of disconnecting someone from ourselves, others, and God. The enemy can't actually disconnect us, but he can convince us and deceive us into believing that we're disconnected. We, we know that we can't be disconnected because of Scripture, Romans 8, 38 through 39. So it's important to understand that we can become aware of an affliction that we're experiencing or we can become aware of an, uh, demonic spirits, maybe in a situation that we are coming into, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the power to overcome. That doesn't mean that we have to be convinced that this demonic force is in control of a situation or a person. I'll get to the biblical evidence for the authority we have through Jesus Christ. But first, I want to talk about some of the weapons or strategies that I felt prompted to write down and share, and these are just some things that I've learned over the years as I become more familiar with moving in the spirit and the importance of engaging in spiritual warfare. Praying in the spirit or praying in tongues is significant and a very effective weapon when engaging in spiritual warfare. The reason that it can be very effective is that the enemy can't understand what you're praying, uh, what you're saying, maybe what area or what thing you're trying to, you are influencing or impacting by your prayer. So that is why it can be really helpful to engage in that for extended periods of time just to build up that covering and to go on the offensive in the spiritual realm. Now, the speaker also can't understand what they're praying, and this is a good thing because 
we would probably mess it up and we would probably add our own bias to whatever's being prayed. Praying in the spirit is your spirit submitting to what the Holy Spirit wants to pray, what the Holy Spirit wants to say. And so you're just a conduit for the Holy Spirit to pray and affect the spiritual realm and the physical realm. So it's really just coming into alignment and agreement with what God is saying and not really needing to have the understanding piece of it. In Ephesians 6, 11 through 18, that is the passage about the armor of God. And growing up in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school and grew up in the church, then you learned about the helmet of salvation all the way down to the sword of the spirit. And that's great. And it's awesome to, to know that we need to be engaging in the things that God gives us to protect ourselves and to also go on the offensive. But right after this, the statement right after the sword of the spirit, Paul says, pray in the spirit at all times. So given the context, that seems like another weapon to be utilized from this place of understanding spiritual warfare, understanding the demonic forces and principalities that we come up against in spiritual warfare. So that was pointed out to me by Dave and it really clicked and made sense that that praying in the spirit is not just to edify yourself and to to do by yourself whenever you maybe think of it, but it's important to have in your mind that praying in the spirit is a weapon and if you're experiencing spiritual warfare or you know that you might be going into a situation that you might face opposition, understand that you should be praying in the spirit and that that has significant impact in your ability to withstand the schemes of the enemy. The second strategy is one that I'm not really sure how to describe, but I just think of it as faith sight. And so that to me just means exercising our faith in a given situation. We know that scripture says, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. So to build up our faith and edify ourselves in the faith that we have in God, we need to be hearing the word of God. So reading out loud, decreeing and declaring the promises that you know that God's given you, the promises that are found in scripture, this is another way to engage in warfare. And if you're experiencing a demonic attack, your response in reading out the word of God is really going to frustrate the enemy, is really going to deter him from wanting to torment you because he doesn't want to be around the word of God because the word of God is our power. 
We have an example also in Joel 3.10. says, let the weak say I am strong. A lot of times when we need to speak a promise of God or speak a truth of God the most is when we least feel like it. And when you're feeling weak or when you're feeling defeated, you don't want to really be saying, I am strong, because you don't feel it and you don't think it and it doesn't really look that way. But that's the time when God is trying to motivate you to speak from a place of faith instead of speaking from what your circumstances are or what your feelings are, what your thoughts are. We have to be able to step beyond ourselves and beyond what we see into the unseen, which is where we have our faith, and be able to speak the truth of who God says we are and that we are more than conquerors, that we overcome the enemy through Jesus Christ in every situation. In Psalms 105.19, there's a couple verses that are talking about Joseph and what the Lord worked through in his life. And in verse 19, it says, Until the time that his word came true, the word of the Lord tested and refined him. So we're seeing that the dreams and the prophetic words that the Lord gave Joseph when he was young, none of those came to pass for over 30 years. And during those 30 years, Joseph is going through circumstances that are completely opposite to what the Lord showed him in these dreams and these prophetic words. He's sold into slavery. He gets accused of a crime that he doesn't do. He gets thrown in jail and forgotten by people who said they would remember him in jail. So all of these circumstances are happening. But we see here in Psalms that God gave him these dreams and these prophetic words to see if Joseph would continue to believe and have faith in the word of the Lord, despite what his circumstances are, despite how long it's been. Faith is not a feeling. It's a choice to believe what God says over everything else. So if you've received a word from the Lord, or you know that there's scriptural promises that apply to you that that you can receive, there's probably going to be a time of testing to see, are you willing to see how God sees, to speak how God speaks, and to not let doubts or circumstances deter you from the truth. Being able to go to war with your personal promises and personal prophetic words that you've had is the same as reading the scripture out loud. You're building your faith by hearing and hearing what the Lord has spoken to you, decreeing and declaring that over your life and just really giving yourself something to hold on to and focus on when there are many other things trying to distract you from what the Lord is leading you into. The third strategy is binding and loosing. So in Matthew, there's a few 
instances where Jesus talks about this with the disciples. Uh, Matthew 16, 19, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And there's another passage in Matthew 18, 18 through 20, if you want to look that one up as well. But basically, what Jesus is saying is that you have the authority to affect the spiritual realm and affect the physical realm. It's important to have the skill or gift of discerning of spirits that the Lord can build up in you and kind of teach you how to discern spirits that way when maybe you're feeling a certain attack or you're in a certain situation. You can be able to tell what is the enemy using to come against me and you can bind and lose. So you can bind depression, you can bind a spirit of division. Anything that is the opposite of God is something that the enemy is going to move in to try and steal, kill, and destroy, to ruin any interaction you have with somebody, whatever it may be. So the ability to recognize that and then to be able to use your authority in binding those demonic spirits and the demonic influence is a super effective attack against the enemy. So even though we can, we're binding and throwing the enemy back to the pit of hell, getting rid of his influence in an area or an attack he's coming against you, we also need to remember to loose the things of God, loose the things of heaven that they would come and fill those spaces or fill you. So when we're loosing things, we're loosing a spirit of joy, we're loosing a spirit of abundant life, we're loosing love and a spirit of unity. All the things that are God's nature and his character, all the things that come from God, we want to be loosing those and bringing those into the situations that we're going into, bringing those into ourselves so that we can be filled with the spirit of God and have something to draw on as we're maybe in a place of the enemy trying to deceive us or distract us. It's really important that we're not just removing the enemy, but that we're bringing the spirit of God and the nature of God into that situation. Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So you give power to the things that you say. And we see this throughout the Proverbs, talking about your ability to control what you speak and the trouble that you can get into when you don't control what you speak. But the way that Proverbs 18.21 is saying it is kind of putting us in the same light of God's ability to create by his word. And so our ability to speak gives power to the thing that we're speaking to. So we, we have to be careful that we're 
not coming into agreement with a circumstance or not coming into agreement with something that is from the enemy, uh, a lie, anything like that, to really make sure that we're being careful about what we're speaking and that when we speak, we're coming into agreement with what God says. And we can rebuke the enemy when we recognize that, but it's also important to speak the truth and be intentional about coming into agreement with the truth of God. The last thing, last strategy I'll go over is prophetic acts, and some people refer to them as sign acts. And these are basically a symbolic act inspired by the Holy Spirit. So there's examples of this throughout the Old Testament. One of them is in 2 Kings 13, verses 14 through 19. And the king of Israel at that time comes to Elisha, and he's saying we're about to be attacked by these people. And Elisha is led to kind of bring him through a prophetic act. So he opens a window towards the east. He tells this king to shoot an arrow out that window. And then this is, he says, this is a sign that you're going to be victorious over this battle. And then it goes a step further and Elisha instructs the king to grab arrows and hit the ground with the arrows. So the king hits the ground three times with the arrows and Elisha gets a little bit upset at him and is like, why didn't you hit the ground more times? Then you would have had like complete victory over these people. But since you only hit the ground three times, you're only going to defeat them three times. So that's just an example of something that is a weird symbolic act, but it's led by the Holy Spirit and it's to give a sign and to say, I'm, I'm here in this situation and here's what I'm saying over this situation. Uh, there's another example in 1 Kings 19.19 19, and then also in Isaiah 54. We see that the Lord is giving this picture of his promises interacting with us. And the picture is a woman who hasn't had kids and the Lord is prophesying to her, speaking to her and saying, you need to make your tent bigger because I'm about to bless you with more kids than you even thought you'd have. So that's kind of a prophetic act that the Lord is motivating that person and in that example he's motivating us to prepare for the promises that he has because they're coming and when we're doing things in the physical realm we're kind of acting out our faith and showing God I believe that you're going to do this and I'm prepared for that uh, in the New Testament Jesus used symbolic actions when he instructed the disciples to anoint people with oil as they were going around healing and delivering. Uh, that's in Mark six thirteen. As I was putting this part together, I was obviously trying to put a list of examples, but I didn't really know if I had any personal examples until I was reminded of one. And it was 
a prophetic act the Holy Spirit gave me in the season that was of healing and transformation. And I remember having a, a conversation with the Lord, like, how do I know that, that you're going to follow through with the healing that you've said? How am I going to know that this transformation has happened? Because this was all internal stuff. So there wasn't really anything that I could see to say, oh yeah, that's happened or it is happening. So I was having that conversation with God and then I felt the Lord respond and say, um, grow your hair out. And as you're growing your hair out, that's going to be a sign of the healing and transformational work he was doing in me in that season. So I received that. I took that. I was like, okay, great. That's, that's a way for me to keep engaged in this process that you're doing and to be able to have faith and exercise my faith. So my hair was shorter at the time and it took maybe like eight months to a year for it to fully grow out. And, and within that time, there was complete fulfillment of the promises that God gave me. And it was tangible and visible, the evidence of the work that the Lord had done. But that's just one example that I know I have in my life of a symbolic act or a prophetic act that the Holy Spirit gave me. All right, now I'm going to get into the authority. And understanding our authority in Jesus Christ is super important in being able to be effective in spiritual warfare and in not being affected by what the enemy is attacking you with. So to recall from part one of the spiritual warfare, I'm going to read through Deuteronomy 30, uh, 10 through 11 again. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. If God has given us a command, that means that it's possible for us to obey. God can't command us to do something that we can't do because then he'd be a liar. Uh, Luke one thirty seven, for no word from God will ever fail. Another translation is, for with God nothing shall be impossible. The Greek word in that scripture, rhema, means a thing spoken, a word or saying, a command or promise. So if God says it, you can obey it and therefore accomplish it, attain it. Therefore, that word's not going to fail. We have to really understand that when God gives us a command, it's not, it's not just written words. It's not just a rule. It's not, oh, I'm really trying, but I can't do that. Within that command that God is giving is all the power that you need to obey that and accomplish that thing, whatever it is. 
By God speaking that word, he makes it possible. One other translation of Luke 137 is not one promise from God is empty of power. Nothing is impossible with God. Okay, John 2021. We're talking about the authority. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So when we're reading the scripture, we need to think about how did the Father send Jesus? Because that is how Jesus sends us. The Father sent Jesus with the authority to affect the physical realm in multiplying the food for the fi- feeding of the 5,000, in speaking to the wind and stopping the storm when they're on the sea. We have to really think into what d- does this entail John 14, 12, Jesus is speaking. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. So, again, Jesus is spelling it out that the things you've seen me do, that I have been equipped with the authority to do, you're also going to do, and greater In Luke 10, it's the passage sending out of the 72, verses 18 and 21 says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So we're seeing that Jesus is again reiterating this authority is in the physical realm, this authority is in the spiritual realm, and It's for the purpose of ruling and reigning that you won't be overcome by the powers of the enemy. Matthew 10, verses 1 and verse 8. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus commanded, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So again, this is Jesus showing that he's imparted the authority to his followers. People that are his disciples, people that are believing in him and seeking to obey all of his commands. And then in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, at the beginning of verse 18... Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. And people are very familiar with the rest of this verse. It's very missions focused. But the beginning is important in order to be able to do what God commands in the going out. All authority has been given to me. We need to have the confidence and the faith in the authority that Jesus Christ has given to us, that Jesus Christ gained by living the perfect, obedient life and being the sacrifice for us to spend eternity with the Lord, for us to receive the Holy Spirit inside of us. Uh, In the Old Testament, 
we also see the situation with Cain and Abel. And in Genesis 4, verses 6 through 7, the Lord is speaking and says, But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This again shows us that a command from God has to be possible to obey. So it's possible for us to rule over sin, to rule over the enemy coming to tempt and destroy us. When you become aware of a demonic affliction, you have two choices. Either you aggressively rebuke and bind it, or you cower and hope it goes away, or tell yourself that it's not that big of a deal. If you choose the latter, because you're aware of it, you've just come into agreement with that affliction, and you've chosen fear. You've just allowed that demonic spirit to continue to be a part of your life. You cannot be soft on the enemy in your life or in the situations around you that you're going into. Jesus demonstrated the response we need to have when we become aware of any attempt by the enemy to keep people out of God's presence and promises. We are supposed to be setting people free through the truth that we have in the gospel and through the demonstration of the authority and power of God. We shouldn't be seeing people in chains in the bondage of the enemy. Maybe they're believing a lie and to them it is more true than the actual truth. We cannot just allow people to stay in chains. You have to know how to be able to set people free. You have to know that you have the authority to move in the Holy Spirit and in the authority that Jesus Christ gave you to set people free, and that includes yourself. The Western church culture, in my opinion, in general, is uncomfortable with the spiritual realm. There are many pastors and preachers that have decided whether consciously or unconsciously, to steer clear of addressing spiritual warfare and discerning of spirits in any kind of depth because it makes people uncomfortable. Yeah, they'll touch on it, and yeah, you can preach a sermon on Ephesians 6 and talk about spiritual warfare, but if you're not giving people the tools to understand how to discern spiritual warfare of the enemy and how to engage in the weapons that God has given us, then we're just talking about something that's happening. We're not equipping people to go out and shift the atmosphere and bring the Spirit of God into situations where the enemy is trying to dominate. And this is a massive disservice. As I've said, believers can be afflicted by demonic spirits. They can be deceived by lies from the enemy. How will they know if they're not taught and made aware of this possibility? And some of those in a position to teach and equip believers are too cowardly or ignorant to present the gospel of the good news 
with its fullest manifestation of power for the listeners. We have to understand that we have power through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, to be able to affect situations, to be able to come into alignment with what God has for us as individuals. Christians need to understand that there are areas where they may be deceived or afflicted, and they have the authority to crush the devil's head and walk into more truth and more freedom and more abundance of life. Believers should never settle for less than what God has promised. When we settle for less than what God has promised, then we just look like the world. And how are people going to differentiate us from from themselves and from being children of God? If we're settling for less than what God has called us to, then we're not being a light of, hey, there's a different way and a better way, and I'm living it, and you can also live it too. Don't settle for anxiety when God says he has peace that transcends all understanding. And don't settle for hopelessness when God says those who hope in me will not be disappointed. We have to start in our own lives if we want to have any effect on the atmosphere around us and the people around us. We cannot allow the enemy to speak lies and we cannot come into agreement with those lies in our own lives. It starts there first. In the description, I put a link for the Healing Rooms Ministry and this is a ministry that has chapters all over the world and on their website you can search for locations that are near you. And if you have one near you, I would encourage you to go and learn from the people who volunteer there and serve there and receive prayer from them so that you can become familiar with the power and the love of God in your life. And these people, they, at least the chapter here, they have so much experience and they have such a pure heart of wanting to bless people, wanting to see people set free, and wanting to see people understand the truth of who God says they are. And this is a great group to be around, to become equipped in the weapons, to become equipped and understand spiritual warfare from the testimonies and experiences that these people have had. So I highly recommend that you go there. Hopefully you have one that's near you, but even if it's a couple hours away, it's worth the drive. We have people that come to my local chapter that drive over two hours sometimes, and they are so blessed. And now we even have the ability to do it over Zoom. So I'm going to put that in the description as well. The Holy Spirit doesn't need you to be in a certain building to bless you. Holy Spirit can use the internet too. So definitely put that on your radar as something that you want to try out and that you want to be exposed to what the Lord is doing. I also put some links to 
um, other teachers, their videos that they've done on spiritual warfare. Um, some of them have some testimonies of getting free from some demonic affliction that had been affecting them. And these teachers, I've been following them and listening to them for a few years now, and it's very encouraging. They have a lot of wisdom, and they're being faithful and sharing that. So definitely check those out to get some more understanding on this spiritual warfare. That does it for this video. I encourage you to look through all the scriptures and passages that I mentioned and talked about in this episode and really go learn for yourself from what the word says. Don't take my word for it. Go look into it. Search the original translations and just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal more to you, more truth about who God is and what he's asking us to do and how he's asking us to be in the world. Thank you.